0: Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there. Thank you for joining me for episode 105 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find the detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 105. You know, I always assumed that food and travel writing didn't pay well. It just, to me, it seemed crowded with writers. And then as media companies started to fold, and if continued to fold, this category of writing just felt like a starving artist's worst nightmare, no pun intended there. But I recently met someone who challenged these assumptions and I'm glad she did. Her name is Kate Kordsmeyer and she's my guest in this week's show. And in this interview, Kate is going to explain why there's still a very good income opportunity in food and travel writing. She's gonna tell you how she got her start how she climbed her way up, where the best opportunities are, what the pay is like, and what to do if you want to earn a good living and enjoy your work. Kate's work has been featured in USA Today, Esquire Magazine, The Washington Post, uh, Fitness Magazine, Cooking Light, Fox News, Jezebel. I mean, you name it. It's a very, very impressive portfolio. And so she's been at this for a while. She knows what she's talking about. This is a very interesting conversation. So here it is, my interview with Kate Kortzmeyer. Kate, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: I am very excited to talk to you about this topic because I I love everything food and wine related. So uh, we're gonna get to chat a little bit more about that and about what it's like to 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 write in this arena. But before we we get to the questions, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, the kind of work you do, the kind of clients that you work with, the kind of projects. Just a kind of a quick summary.
1: Yeah, I always honestly have a little bit of a hard time answering this question because I think when you are an entrepreneur uh, or self-employed freelance, it, it really varies so much and I'm constantly doing different things and trying out different projects and different types of work. Um, so I guess the the canned response is that I'm a freelance food and travel writer and um, And that means mostly that I write for magazines and newspapers and websites on food and travel topics. Um, But I also develop recipes for publications. I've hosted some food and travel shows. And so I've done some on-camera stuff. I'm working on a podcast myself right now. I've written some books. So it's kind of all over the board.
0: So it gets really interesting when people write to DC, like their eyes glaze over when you give them like <laughs> all the detail.
1: Yeah, that's why normally I just say, I'm a freelance writer. And, you know, if they want to ask more questions, and they do. And if they don't, then, you know, I don't have to watch them glaze over. And, and some people, most people are usually like, what does that mean? Or what is that? And, you know, you'll start answering a few questions. And then when people hear, so you get paid to, you know, eat and travel the world, then they, then they're not so glazed over. They think that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that that is pretty exciting. So you don't write about boring stuff like many of us do, which is awesome.
1: <laughs> well, sometimes, but for the most part, it's all pretty pretty exciting stuff.
0: Why don't you give us a an overview of what this is all about, then? Since that's kind of the next natural question, right? So, food and travel writing—what's involved? Uh, maybe give us uh, some some examples of the different project categories and, and what they're about.
1: Yeah. So I would say for the most part, I would call what I do editorial journalism. Um, So I write for consumer magazines, newspapers, websites, like I mentioned before. Um, So it's just telling a lot of different stories. I'm not a restaurant critic. That's the biggest misconception. I don't write reviews. Um, So I just do kind of news profiles, trends, recipes that kind of thing um, in the food and travel space.
0: And what? So the clients, newspapers, magazines, uh, any other kind of big categories?
1: Um, books, I guess. I've done two books in the last couple of years. Um, and within the public, within the publishers, I guess there's the traditional consumer publications, like the ones you see on the newsstand at Barnes and Noble or the grocery store. Um, but then there's also a lot of trade and custom publishers. So it's not quite copywriting, but it's a little different than like straight editorial. And those are more the, the kinds of magazines that you might get. Like if you're a Costco member, Costco has a magazine. Or if you um, are flying Delta, you know, Delta's in-flight magazine. So they're all kind of within the same realm. And I would say they're all mostly editorial still. But there's a couple different categories within that.
0: And so I'm assuming most of them are articles then. Uh, yes. Okay. And what's, what's the range typically for an article in, in, uh, food and travel.
1: Uh, price range.
0: Well, a length lengthwise.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it really, it really depends. Um, they're called front of book and features, um, are pretty much the two categories. So front of book is all of the quick short pieces you usually see in the front of a magazine. Um, and I've done you know, hundreds and hundreds of those. It's a great place to start when you're um, first breaking into this field. Um, and it's, you know, it's a great place to stay too. There's sometimes I think like, oh, I don't really do as many features as I would think that I would be doing at this point because these quick front of book pieces that are, I would say somewhere between 200 and a thousand words, it, it varies. Um, and then feature stories usually start being more like 1,500 to... I don't know, three or 4,000. I mean, and that's getting like really lengthy. There's very few uh, print publications that give that kind of space to a story anymore.
0: Yeah. I know things have changed uh, over the past 10 years or so, haven't they? And I'm sure that this uh, industry has been impacted as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely changed a lot, but I think, I still think magazines are here to stay. I
0: hope. (laughs) So before we get into some more of the detail, uh, I'm curious how you got into this. So how, how did, is this something you chose? Or did you kind of fall into this uh, industry? How, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, it was very intentional. And I set out very purposefully to become a full-time freelance food and travel writer. Um I went to journalism school and I interned with several magazines and then also with a freelance writer. She kind of like opened my eyes that, oh, this is a real thing. This is a job. You don't have to be on staff somewhere. And um, I did work as a copywriter um, full-time for about six months right out of school before I realized that that was not um, the career for me. And so I started pursuing full-time freelance Um Then and have been doing it ever since. That was about seven years ago, I think.
0: Okay. Oh, excellent. Okay. So I'm curious then, now that you've been at it for a while, what kind of writer would you say is best suited for this kind of work? Because I'm assuming that, you know, people have this perception out there uh, that this is all about uh, traveling and going to all these restaurants and, you know, having a great time, but it's not. All glamour, right? Right. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> very uh,
1: little of it is glamorous, actually. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but,
0: I figured, right? This is all. Or you become
1: jaded very quickly. Maybe that's the better way to phrase it. Some of it's still glamorous, but it's not as exciting. eight Years in. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's the case with with anything. But yeah. I, I'm. If somebody is out there listening to this and going, "Wow, this sounds really exciting," um, how do you know if you are well suited for this particular uh, industry, this type particular type of writing. Yeah,
1: well, I definitely think that um, freelance is you know you have to have a certain personality type to be successful in it. You know, I think you have to be very self motivated and disciplined and driven um, on your own, and not just because you have a boss breathing down your neck or in the next room or behind your cubicle who can see what you're doing, you know, I think you have to be very, very self-disciplined. But more than that, I think you have to have really thick skin. Um, Rejection and sometimes more than rejection, just silence, not hearing back, um, is a big part of the job. And if you take it too personally or get too down on yourself, if, you know, you're not, if your pitches aren't being accepted and that kind of thing, I think it'll be a really um, difficult career for anybody like that. So I'd say have thick skin. And, you know, I remember when I first started out, I was getting kind of depressed about things, you know, just being rejected a lot or not hearing back. And I remember my dad sent me an email that said the definition of sales is no, 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 you know, times a million. And then yes. Um, and freelancing in this, uh, realm is definitely selling yourself. Uh, you're always pitching ideas, pitching your, your skills, your, you know, services. So got to be willing to promote yourself.
0: And I'm, I'm curious about the perks, right? Is it what I'm thinking, right? Where you get, uh, (laughs) to have all kinds of free meals and free all expenses paid trips What part of that is true? What part of it is inaccurate?
1: Yeah. I mean, the perks are real. I have had a lot of free meals and trips and gone, you know, I've done a lot of things that I never would have been able to afford on my own. Um, and it's, it's definitely a huge perk. Um, but like I said, it's, I really think it's important to not get caught up in the glamor of it, um you know, there's an opportunity cost of being out of the office, um, not to mention a cost to your waistline and health for eating out that much and traveling that often. Um, But I always think like you can't pay your mortgage with a free meal or a free vacation. So even though those things can be wonderful, you really need to make sure you can actually earn money from whatever it is you're doing. So like if if I take a trip somewhere, I try to sell at least three stories out of every trip um, that I take and and I would only say yes to a trip if I knew it was something that I, I thought I could actually write about, you know, not just because it's like, oh, I'd love to go there but I don't really see myself writing about it or that kind of thing. So I think it's really important to just always be professional and keep your business and income top of mind and never to be entitled. Like you don't just deserve these things because you're a journalist. Um, so kind of, keeping that level of professionalism and, and always tipping, you know, it's never a hundred percent free because I think you should always leave a gratuity for a meal um, or when you're on a trip to your guide or whoever it is. So I think that's important too.
0: A great point. Great point. So in terms of of landing work, uh, I think this is based on what you just said. I'm curious how much of your work is typically people coming to you, right? Past clients, prospects who would never worked with you versus you. you going out and in, in pitching article ideas?
1: Yeah, it's crazy because I think, you know, it's changed over the years. Like when I first started, I definitely was pitching and finding work myself, you know, almost a hundred percent of the time. And then slowly my name started getting out there more and um, people started coming to me. I sort of established myself as an expert in certain topics. And so Now I feel like I I don't pitch nearly as much as I used to. Um, But I really think overall, like not even half of my job as a writer is actually writing. Um, It's like running my business, managing my books, promoting my services, pitching editors, you know, researching potential story ideas. There's a lot of back end, behind the scenes stuff that goes on that's, you know, not just, I'm not just sitting at my desk writing all day, every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's the part a lot of people forget, right? It's uh, you still got to run a business, and it's just you, so you got to wear those. Right, hats.
1: right, exactly.
0: Now, in terms of, I guess, if you look back at the last, I don't know, let's say ten projects, if you were to guess how many of those came to you from people you already know and who know you, you've done work with before, mm-hmm. and how many of those did you pitch? Again, just a, a rough guess.
1: Hmm. Um. The last, this year's it's kind of been a weird year because a lot more has just come to me or I've gotten some regular gigs where I'm not having to pitch every month. I just have these recurring assignments. But I would say, I don't know, maybe 50-50.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're going out there and and pitching some people. And, and I'm curious. I mean, so when you pitch, what does that involve? What What, what do you typically have to do? What's the best approach?
1: Yeah, so there's two different ways I approach it. If it's a consumer magazine, I'm sending a specific story idea to an editor. So I'm not writing the story in advance. I'm just sending like a paragraph or two that says, hey, I'm Kate, this is what I do. Here's an idea for your magazine. Here's why I'm uniquely qualified to write it. And then that's it. And then it's just a waiting game at that point. Um, But there's also, and I think this is probably what a lot of your other guests use is the letters of introduction where for trade publications or custom publishers that are, you know, companies who produce a magazine, a lot of times they develop story ideas in house and then are looking for writers to um, take on those projects. So I'll send out, you know, letters of introduction to those types of editors and companies just kind of saying, Hey, I exist. I'm here. This is the stuff I, I cover and what I'm, what I'm good at and let me know if I can, can help you.
0: And what have you found in in terms of success rate? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously you're established now, right? So you have that credibility, but when you look at both letters of introduction and then pitching and and you're pitching and you're being very, very specific, right? You take the time to really research the publication, make sure you're on target. But I mean, are we talking about, if you were to guess, you know, 20% success rate uh, or is it just way below that? Where, where does it typically fall?
1: Yeah, I think it's probably way below that. It's probably a really depressingly low percentage. Um, I think at one point, I think I was like averaging like 5% success rate or something um and I'm sure that went up and and changed you know the longer I was doing it and the more relationships I established but the hard thing about editorial is that magazine editors move around a lot so sometimes you get in this great relationship with an editor and you're doing tons of stuff for them and then they leave and then the new editor that comes in has their own people or they don't like your column anymore or you know something like that changes so you know you can never really get too comfortable um but i think the success rate is really low and i just remember somebody told me early on this quote from michael jordan about how he missed more than like 9000 shots in his career and um there was some his success rate of like the shots he took and which ones he made was like 2% so then i was like oh that makes me feel a little better
0: Oh, yeah. No kidding. And in baseball, right, if you're batting, you know, 300 uh, or up, there's a good chance that you're going to be, you know, a top player. I mean, you, yeah, you know, if you if you throughout your career bat over 300 consistently, you're going to end up in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. So maybe I'm in the writers Hall of Fame. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the projects in in the pay. because I want to kind of get a sense for what these projects tend to pay. I, the reason I ask Kate is I get the impression that this is a relatively low-paying market. I may be way off, um, but I'm I'm curious if that's true, and if not, what types of clients and projects offer the best pay? So, is there a strategy? Is are are you going about this in a certain way where you're actually able to to make a good living? And it sounds like you are.
1: Well, you know, I think it's all relative. Um, A good living is very subjective and depends on where you live and that kind of thing. But I actually looked back um, before we spoke over the last five years, what my average project rate was and my average hourly rate. And the project rate was about $1,000 and my hourly rate is about $155 an hour. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, so I think it pays more than people expect um, if you do it right. Um, And, you know, I'm usually working on six to 12 different projects at a time. So you can definitely make six figures doing freelance writing in this this field.
0: So... Are there any, you know, you said do it right. So if you were to think of what are the some of the things that you have figured out that you have to do in order to keep your internal hourly rate there mm-hmm. uh, or, or get those kind of, of, of fees are there, can you narrow it down maybe a few things that are absolutely key?
1: I mean, I think the first one is kind of just the overarching theme of like you have to treat it like a business. It's not a hobby. It's not something you're just doing for fun or for the exposure. You know, it's what you're doing so that you can pay your bills. Um, So I think, you know, then there's kind of lots of smaller tips that go within that. But I think always remembering that it's a business is the first thing um, to do. And then just being really strategic about who you write for and how you spend your time. Um, I am like a compulsive spreadsheet nerd and I track everything. Um, And so I have all different kinds of spreadsheets tracking how many hours I worked. And um, even like I do this thing, it's so cheesy, but it's like called a client report card. Um, And every year I write down, you know, who do I write for? And I rate them on this like weighted scale of how well did they pay? Did I like the editor? Did it boost my resume, and you know things like that, and then kind of give everybody a score. And then if you're not over a certain a certain number, it's like you're you're chopped. Then you know I'm not I'm not writing for you anymore. So I think always like analyzing um, what's working and what isn't, and you know saying no sometimes, and using that that time that you would have spent writing for a poor paying client or something something that wasn't enjoyable to find a better paying or a better um, market in general.
0: That is brilliant. I never heard of a client report card. I love the way you do that.
1: (laughs) I can't take a hundred percent credit for it. I think I actually got the idea from a book. Um, I, I read all kinds of freelance books when I was starting out and I feel like I, I probably came from one of those. Um, but it's been really helpful to me over the years. And, you know, sometimes you think you have this idea in your mind of like, Oh, this is a great client. And then sometimes when you actually go and Analyze it and see the facts. I'm like, oh, they're actually a horrible client. I don't know why I, why I had this in my mind, or or the other way around. And so that's it's really helpful.
0: So now, now that you've been at it for, I think you said seven years or so, right? Um,
1: well, yeah, full time since twenty ten, and I um, freelanced before I went full time for a couple years.
0: So it's been it's been a while, and mm-hmm. that you you have you found your sweet spot? And if so, you know, what does that comprise of? What, what, what's in that sweet spot that, you know, Hey, if I, you know, if I keep doing this or I do more of this, this is, this is high margin stuff.
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I feel like maybe I've found my sweet spot just in specializing in food the way that I have. And I really focus on food as a cultural experience. Um, So I write a lot about, you know, ethnic food, for lack of a better word, or a lot of my travel writing is about what people eat in other countries and where you should eat if you're visiting those places or understanding their customs and that kind of thing. So I guess I would say my sweet spot is kind of becoming an expert in that. And now I get a lot of work that just comes to me from people who are looking for that type of person.
0: I like that. That's really cool. And and do you, in letters of introductions, do you mention that by the way? Do you mention that <clears> as a differentiator?
1: Um no, but I should. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh just figuring out what you enjoy, what you figure you do well, and I'm sure you do several things well, but it's uh it sounds like this is something that um that, that you really enjoy uh in and it's that that theme that keeps recurring. So I'm I'm curious because I know you've done some other things, right? You've branched out a little bit. I think you said you, you've written a cookbook or some cookbooks. Uh, tell me about the opportunities to kind of branch out.
1: Yeah, well, <clears throat> a lot of the book projects that I've worked on, or two, I've only done two, but both of them came to me actually. And again, it was kind of that like, develop, um, set yourself up as this expert. And, you know, I, I highly recommend all writers have a website where they showcase their clips and kind of have an about page. And because I get so much work from people who, you know, this, the book I wrote last year is called Atlanta chef's table. They were just looking for an Atlanta food writer. So what do they Google Atlanta food writer? And I'm one of the first results that comes up and that's how I got the gig. So highly recommend doing that. And then in terms of kind of branching out to do your own stuff, <clears throat> um, that's a big part of what I'm doing right now actually is I, I recently started a blog for the first time, um, which I never thought I would do. I feel like I've always tried to say, I'm a, I'm a real journalist and not a blogger and um, <laughs> set myself apart from that. And I finally just decided I needed to embrace it. Um, so I started a blog called Root and Rebel, And kind of for this reason, you know, I was, I wanted to do my own thing where I could have more control over the content, um, you know, and write about the stories that I felt like were important and not be beholden to advertisers or, um, other editors' opinions and that kind of thing. And, And also to do more first person stuff. A lot of what I do is just kind of this third person, omniscient, um, very objective, if not I mean, it's a little positive, I guess, but, you know, it's usually recommendations and stuff. But I like being able to tell more of a narrative story and connecting with readers on that level. Um, and then also, I think there's probably a greater earning potential um, along with passive income if you're able to monetize it well, you know, versus freelance. It's just you get paid once for the one project and then that's it. So I like the idea of, like, being able to, earn more over time.
0: I think that's, that's brilliant. And and I don't know if you've seen other results from it in terms of uh, the exposure and then helping you land additional clients. But I would think that just putting yourself out there like that can only help, right. Even though you're not doing it for that reason specifically, but can only help you maybe land uh, some of these writing gigs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I think it never hurts to have more clips and more types of work. Um, and yeah, so hopefully it will. I mean, the Root & Revel is very different from the type of work I normally do because I'm mostly covering restaurants and chefs and winemakers and hotels and that kind of thing. And I didn't want Root & Revel to be like that. I didn't really want it to take away from what I was doing. Um, So it's more of like a food and wellness site that kind of talks more about cooking um, and health and nutrition and sort of coming at it from that angle. So it's very separate.
0: Very cool. And that way you're able to express yourself that way, right? Write about things that you also are interested in.
1: Right, exactly. And you know, I I had some health issues over the last few years and I've really um, solved them through the power of nutrition. So it's kind of like sharing my story and what I've learned and trying to help other people in that way.
0: So I'm I'm curious, and, and I know what the answer is, but <laughs> I, I'd like to get your take on what you feel are the opportunities for writers in this field. Somebody who's never worked uh, as a food and travel writer—they're very intrigued by it. They they would li- they're listening to you right now, going, "Oh my gosh, that is exactly what I want to do." <laughs> yeah. Is it too late? You know, is it too late to break into into this space?
1: No way, it's never too late. Uh, absolutely not. There's, there's no prerequisite to what you had to do before this. And maybe you can even channel your previous experience to prove why you're uniquely qualified to, to write a story, you know, based on what you did before. Maybe you're celiac and you can, you know, pitch gluten-free stories or something like that. It's like you, you can always harness your experience.
0: So start somewhere. Maybe look at where you have some sort of experience or interest, and use that as a jumping off point.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can intern with freelancers or at a magazine. You know, I guess it depends on maybe your age if you're willing to do that. But I, I use interns all the time, and I would, they're not always students, and um, it's a great way to kind of learn the business and um, how it how it all works, and you can ask questions from somebody who who knows and. Um, and if you don't want to do that, I think just study the heck out of magazines and pitch and market yourself like crazy. And, you know, it's, it's a numbers game. So if you, if you have the right idea and you pitch it to the right editor at the right time, that's really
0: all you need. So tell me about, uh, interns. So how would one go about looking if that's of interest to to look for someone to kind of intern under?
1: Yeah. So there is a site called ed2010.com and they list a lot of internships. I think those are more with magazines though, like if you actually wanted to work um, for a particular publication, but for freelancers, I mean, I know I list um, my internship openings. I list them on my website and I also list them through like local universities but I would say, like, if you're not finding any, maybe just search for freelancers, and you could just email them and say, "Hey, do you need an intern? I'd love to to help and and kind of approach it that way."
0: And what's the the format typically? So you you work with a writer, maybe do some of the research, do some of the kind of initial writing, and and you essentially work for free in order to to get that education.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it varies and I've tried both free or for college credit or kind of like a, a stipend. That's definitely not much, but it's better than nothing, I guess. But I think I always try to meet with my interns in person or over the phone if they're not local um, and just have kind of these like pick your brain sessions where they can ask me a bunch of questions and um, and I usually, I have them doing, like, they'll get some bylined work with me. Um, you know, they're helping me, like, sourcing photos or researching stories and definitely a lot of social media help and, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's hard to recommend. I, I don't really recommend people working for free. But if you have no experience in the field, I think it could be kind of a helpful exchange, at least for a couple months, to just figure things out.
0: Well, and I like what you said earlier, too, that if you have a high degree of interest in, in this industry, like there's probably a reason for it. There's some history there. You have some sort of experience. Like in my case, I've never written about food and travel, but I have a very uh, high interest in wine. It's something I've been studying for 20 years very seriously at first before I had kids (laughs) and these days (laughs) Now now you need
1: it more than ever
0: yeah now exactly exactly now I don't have the time to to read and taste like I did before but I'm I still do a lot of tasting and I've never done it professionally but I guess you know that could be Right, yeah, my, I mean, I entry. would pitch
1: a wine story and say, you know, I'm I'm a huge wine drinker. I have a cellar of five thousand bottles, or I don't know something that maybe like is a little more fat because there's tons of people that call themselves foodies and winos, and you know, like that without any real background in it. But c- call out a couple a couple facts about your wine knowledge, um, and I mean, like I said, this kind of writing is really more about your idea um, than it is about your experience or your background. I mean, I've never once in all of these years of freelancing, I've never once been asked if I went to journalism school.
0: But I would think, though, and I agree with you, I can see that. I'm wondering, though, someone in terms of their confidence level, yeah, they they have a lot of experience, they've been writing for a while, but let's say it's – their specialty is insurance, right? Mm-hmm. But this is something they want to develop. This is something they want to get into. So they have the writing experience. They just don't have the clips in food and travel. But they have this high degree and maybe they're a home chef or something like that. So yeah. right? you just need that first couple of opportunities, right? It seems right. like this is the kind of thing where you just need somebody to give you a shot, and then you have something that you can leverage.
1: Right. And you don't have to tell anybody that this is your first article. You know, I mean, you don't have to lie, but when you're selling yourself, position yourself how you would like to be positioned. You know, if if you're passionate about wine and you have an impressive seller, or you've, you know, taken a test and you're a super taster, or I don't know, whatever it could be, then let them know that. Send them a really great idea that they wouldn't get otherwise, you know, something really unique. And I think a lot of times editors will take a chance on you. And if you have a blog or you have a couple clips or something that you can send them to to just say, you know, see here's my writing chops and prove that you, you know, can can write, then that's that's really all you need.
0: Would you advise maybe going after some of the smaller local publications as a good starting point just to kind of get your feet wet?
1: I go back and forth on this because I didn't, I mean, I interned as a student, so I did have that background and I got a couple clips from that. But my first story that I was paid for was for a national magazine. Um, and I was a college student and, you know, I don't say it to brag. I just say it to say like, it's possible. and You don't have to, you know, work for years as an underpaid uh, writer. I mean, not all local magazines underpay their, their writers, of course, but I think people always have this impression that it's like you have to pay your dues and that there's like, you know, this rite of passage that you have to go through of like struggling for years of not paying your rent before you can pitch travel and leisure. But people always ask me, like, how did you get in travel and leisure? I just pitched them. That was it. There's no secret. I just pitched them a good idea. Well,
0: and I guess too, if you're an established writer already, right, keep Mm -hmm. your day job, so to speak. It can't hurt to go after travel and leisure. What do you got to lose? You already got your clients. This is just something you'd love to do, but you don't need to land that gig with travel and leisure next month in order to pay your mortgage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say either start slowly on the side or have some savings, you know, save up six to 12 months of living expenses and say, Okay, I'm going to do this cuz I do think, I mean, I didn't I freelanced on the side in college, but I did not freelance once I started working full time until I went full time freelance. And I mean, it, it was a lot of work in the beginning cuz it's a lot of researching who the publications are, who the editors are, coming up with story ideas or sending those letters of introduction it takes a lot of time up front. I mean, there's not a whole lot of monetary investment. Like you're not having to buy a bunch of equipment or inventory and that kind of thing, which is nice, but it's a lot of time investment up front. And I think it would be hard to really launch a full career if you were only putting in a couple hours a week.
0: So I got one last question for you. Um, it's kind of a, kind of a catch all here. And I'm, I'm curious if if you were to summarize your biggest lessons, Learn from from your years of working in this field. What what would they be? Maybe just you know two, three, four things.
1: Yeah, um, I think the first lesson is that you can make good money as a writer. You just have to treat it like a business, be strategic, and don't be afraid to sell yourself. Um, I think um, be reliable. You know, I I don't think you have to be the most talented writer to be the most successful writer. Um, I think you just need to have, to just be professional and reliable and make an editor's job easier, you know, meet your deadlines, answer emails when they send them to you. Just be easy to work with. Don't be too tied to your words or, um, you know, unopen to, to edits, um, and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, those are
0: big. <laughs> those are big you know what and they sound like common sense but i i get it right when it's your stuff it's easy to get emotionally tied yeah. to your writing and to take things personally and it's easy to forget that you got to be reliable and right you have to be responsive and yeah so that's i think it's sound advice so uh thank you kate and i before we sign off so where can people learn more about you. And I'd like for you to also give us your, your blog URL.
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, my name is kind of a mouthful. It's Kate Parham Kordsmeyer, but you can find my writer's website, which has my portfolio and some information about my career. Um, just Kate Parham com, And if you Google it and misspell it, I'm sure that Google gods will help you find it. Um, Uh, We'll
0: include the link in the show notes as well.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. And then Root and Revel is my blog and it's just rootandrevel.com. And um, on social media, I am at KP and yeah.
0: Awesome. Hey, this has been fun and I all appreciate right. you sharing all this with us. You've opened up my eyes to this whole new world that I had this different view of. And, and now I see that there are lots of possibilities here and it's an exciting place to write.
1: Good. I'm so glad. I feel like I'm always trying to dispel the myth that freelance writers are starving artists. So I'm glad. Hopefully, I convinced a couple people.
0: You're not going to starve if you're writing about food. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you. So there you go, folks. There is opportunity in this fun and exciting sector of the writing industry. But obviously... This is uh, just like with anything else. There's no get rich quick anywhere. This is absolutely no exception. So I hope you enjoyed that and got some good ideas. If this is an area and it, that, that interests you, I hope this gave you some ideas on how you can possibly start exploring that so you can do well in this business. So you can grab the detailed show notes to this episode at b2blauncher.com, episode 105. So all the links are there summary of what we just talked about, the questions that I asked Kate. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Again, I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. Take care.
1: The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.